Hello nerds, welcome to this bonus episode of Into the Wild, partnered with and supported by the London Wildlife Trust, the driving force for nature conservation across the UK's capital. With their dedicated supporters and volunteers, the London Wildlife Trust work tirelessly to protect wildlife and green or blue spaces across London. And now, on with the show. Ooh. Ooh. See my breath. I can see my breath. <laughs> oh, how's winter going for you on the Isle of Butte? Ooh, it's 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 a strong one. We've <laughs> yeah, got northerlies the... today, which means the wind stings your face. Oh. How about you yeah, down there? Uh, up and down in London as winter quite often is. Um, have you noticed whenever you ask me about the weather, I always look to my right. You look out the window, check. It's because I look out the window. <laughs> yeah, it's up and down. It's up and down. Winter's very much like, well, it's very cold. We yeah. did get down to minuses for a long time. Then it goes very mild and you think, oh, that's that done. And then suddenly back down to cold again. And yeah. then back up to mild and back down to cold. So it's a bit of, a, bit of an up and down. But today was very, very cold, probably about four degrees which for London is cold, um, and very, very, very wet. Oh, wet's good, though. Yes. Yeah, London's all, all been we a need bit dry. it. You do, oh, you, oh, gardeners will be celebrating. Oh, do you know what it is, though? <laughs> the last couple of years, you have told me, you know, when it's been mild in winter, you've gone, ooh, that don't feel right. So actually, no, you've got doesn't. something to celebrate. Yes, when it's cold I, in winter, I'm like, result. It's, it's you know, it's what, you, it's what we should have. And I know, I know that you've got a lap blanket and slippers. <laughs> so, but you do. And so actually you are equipped. I have got a lap blanket. Why am I 82? <laughs> we all, so I think that part of hibernating in winter, um, which is what you and I have talked about quite a bit, actually going really yeah. slow this winter. Actually, part of it is um, becoming a nana. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think many people wouldn't want to hibernate in winter why would you not want an excuse to do nothing i think actually i, I mean I, I certainly in the in the position that i'm in with working from home and not having a commute which i feel really lucky to have there's mm. an element of like i'm able to put the brakes on a little bit whereas if yeah. i was getting up and going out at the same time every day 365 days a year because i don't have weekends off apparently <laughs> but if i you know i did used to work in an office and so there was something about the daily routine that couldn't change despite the weather changing. Mm. And so I have been able to slow down this winter. Yeah. That's interesting. So is this your first winter freelance fully? No, it is. It's my second, but I think I am really recognising this is the first winter that I've slowed down. And ten- I was still doing the same thing before. Now I'm like, hang yeah, on a minute. Hang on a minute. I can slow down here. Yeah, it's really interesting. So how are you in winter? What's, what, like, do you still get out? And about, I mean, obviously you're a nature nerd, so you, you're going to get your outdoors time. Yeah. But obviously winter is a very, you know, wherever these barriers come from, whether they come from the actual environment or whether they come from physically or mentally mm-hmm. from us. But do you have any of those barriers that make you go, oh, God, you know what? No, not for me today. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely do. I'm looking out the window now and it is grey sky. The window is covered in rain and I can see the rain, rain like whipping the trees. So Oof. the the ease to get up and to go outside. First of all, I'm going to have to leave the comfort of my duvet. So there's that initial cold shock, then put on about another two layers, hat, wellies. Like it is, it is harder. And I do get out. I would say I get out about a quarter of what I do in spring, summer. Mm. And I would say I stay out for 
about a quarter of the time. Like it is vastly reduced, but beautiful, right? I did go yeah. walk on the, the beach the other night um, just as the sun was setting and it was bitterly cold, but I could hear the widgeon whistling out on the sea, just this, <laughs> this lovely winter sound for me of these just mm. birds just whistling. Lovely, lovely, magical winter moment. But it is, it took a lot for me to decide to get my ass into gear. Yeah. How about you? It does. I'm, I think it's changed over the, I think you would get a very different answer if you asked me five years ago. Mm. I've, I've slowly started to embrace. So like last year I decided to never describe weather as bad. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't stop saying, oh, it's bad weather today or the weather was really bad because it's perception. It's kind of, I think especially in kind of city environments like you, you know i i work outside so whether i i don't have a choice i've got to be out in it for at least four hours right i've got to be out and about so if if it rains for half an hour what i notice is some people will be like oh god it rained all day today and you're like well that's your perception of what you saw but actually it's completely different so i think with me working outside for longer over the last five six years my perception of kind of being in winter is completely different and being excited to see each, each season so there are there is a point of winter where i'm like oh come on i'm ready for spring now but i'm i'm, I'm I, there babe are you there because i'm not there yet i'm, I'm actually there this still week. enjoying it okay no i'm still but then it's a very different winter down here like i said we do get um some weeks where it goes up to 13 degrees for a week wow. which is very mild but then it suddenly drops so like that was last week was 13 degrees in london and then this week it's been back down to five and six yeah so it's like it's it fluctuates a lot so Maybe if I had naught to five degrees from November through to January, maybe my answer would be different. But we're talking about London. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's a very, very changing city. But there's um what what do you like to see? I mean, you spend a lot of time in cities, you're from a city. What do you see? What's your winter wildlife watching? In a city wise, on that perspective, I guess like I guess where you get like, you know, starlings are always a joy to see yes. kind of flocking around. I think just birds generally kind of like flocking and gathering in winter that kind of mm. that kind of sense of abundance is really really lovely but like and also and also just noticing in it in it's so much a point that you just said is that like oh it's been horrible all day it hasn't actually because there was a two-hour window and if yeah. you're able <laughs> yeah. to like get into the habit of embracing because sometimes it only takes 15 minutes walk outside sometimes mm. it just you know half an hour um and to like mentally make that switch. And actually like when you do start noticing just the trees coming, trees coming to bud really early. So and, like, early. Noticing that is lovely. Yeah. I, I think that was one thing I think I noticed about three years ago was tree buds coming out so early to the point where I was like, oh my God, they're going to be covered in leaves in about two weeks. <laughs> I completely was like, no, this is such a long process. But then also it, when you start looking at these things, you notice it's actually easier to start spotting the, the wildlife that is there because the vegetation and stuff is so bare this time of year. So whilst you've got buds and stuff, but it's easier to see maybe in amongst the bramble or the just into the forest where you can see like fungi or anything under there. It's easier to get to logs to have a little bit of a lift to see if there's anything underneath. Also to see birds as well. Yeah. Like, and now, now I'll be honest, again, no one ever thought they'd hear me say that. What birds? Just joy to see birds nice all right <laughs> but it is but it is like i think as i've got more into it i'm like yeah this time of year is easier they're, they're more driven for food uh-huh so you just hang around trees that have got berries on and you start to see a bit more fly <laughs> around there you make it sound so sleazy just hang around these trees with berries on. <laughs> <laughs> just hanging around not doing anything 
Don't mind me. <laughs> you never out hung around Ollie Tree? <laughs> Just to see who turns up. <laughs> no, not a who. <laughs> I can. I've got. I, I think we start calling them who. Who you? Yeah. Okay. It's going. It's, going it's to just sound the way you weird, said though. it. So like, I don't know. Like hanging around a bar. Look, I am happy to stand here on the podcast and say I perv on nature. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. So I, I, Hi, you know, I hang Ryan. around. Yeah. And I um, I just hang around waiting. You know. Yeah, I'm quite often seen just sitting by a pond. Binoculars at hand. Hand in water. <laughs> But not this time of year because it's cold. Hands Um, in pockets. But that was, that was, I actually, my hanging around, um, and it was a holly tree actually, was when I have first noticed, whether it's the first time I've seen them, I don't know, first time I've noticed wax wings. What the shut up front door? Nadia, I cannot stress enough how much birds were not my thing. You're saying things like wax wings. (laughs) Oh, is that that what surprised you? Are you You so surprised that it was my first time seeing them? Uh... Just, yeah, no, not first time seeing them, but just your excitement now about like a really cool nerdy bird. I know. And I hate it. But what I did say to lo- a lovely guy that I think many, a few listeners might know, if you don't follow him on Instagram, do, because his, his photography is amazing. Tom Aspinall, he shouted about wax wings. And then I said, funny enough, I think I saw my first lot. Well, I mean, they were they're definitely wax wings, but I think it was my first time seeing them. I was more excited about the fact that I saw that I knew it was something I hadn't seen before than I was about it being a wax wing. Oh, that's lovely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it made me realise going, I'm actually quite in tune with this environment around here because I noticed them and I thought, that's a lot more kind of uh, you don't see really flocks of birds like that. And also they're a bit bigger, making a bit different noise. And that that's what excited me yeah. about it. Give a fuck if they were a wax wing. That's like a black just... belt level. No, that's really, it's a really, really nice thing to notice is that like, I did that. I went through yeah. the process of noticing and going, someone's gone on here, hang on, hang on. They're a different shape that like, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to investigate that little mm-hmm. spark of intuition and it's going to pay off. And that's lovely. I would also say as well, like, a lot of people, like people, do have gardens in in London. Uh, there, there are a lot of people with gardens, whether they're like just small little concrete gardens or anything. This is winter's a perfect time of year to put, you know, to get ready and grow some like bird feeding plants or just put some like water dishes out because it can be quite dry in London as well. Yeah, and just see what starts coming into your garden. Yeah, things are like looking for or put some shelter up and say so with the mat. I've been sending you the videos of the foxes in the garden oh, next don't. door. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. If you build it, they'll come. So winter's a good time to start prepping for that. Keep your windows shut, though, because they'll take your babies. Because they will take your babies. <laughs> um, I, I will say I brought up wax wings a minute ago. I think that's a good way or a good time to segue into our first chat for this episode about winter wildlife in London. Um, Nadia, I had the absolute privilege of visiting Walthamstow Wetlands, which I'm not sure. Have you been to in London? I've never been. I'd love to go. Okay, we're putting it on the list for when you're next in London because it's absolutely incredible reserve. It's it's almost a guarantee to see some species. And I'm going to give a bit of a spoiler um, as before I introduce the chat. And just to stress how much it's a guarantee is that I met two great naturalists, members of staff for the London Wildlife Trust, Chantelle Lindsay and Pete Salter. 
Um, we met for a lovely walk around Walthamstow Wetlands and had a chat, which you're about to listen to. But Pete was very excited because he was hoping I was going to see a golden eye, which is a type of duck, a winter visitor. We only get about five or six in London. They're very, wow. very, yeah, only a couple, like a handful visit this city. And he was like, hopefully you'll see one. And we saw one. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so Walthamstow Wetlands is just like this guarantee that you're definitely going to see a kingfisher and just these other species, just they're just everywhere. Um, so it's a lovely place to visit. So this is a lovely chat I had with Chantel Lindsay and Pete Salter at Walthamstow Wetlands about wildlife in London and how and what we can still go and see. So we are talking so i've met you guys today to talk about winter connected with nature in winter the importance of that um but also doing that in a city like london london's an incredible diverse and huge city i want to start with talking about what kind of people can see in the winter months because we there's this perception that maybe not much happens or we lose a lot of wildlife why things move elsewhere or things die off but we know spring has wildflowers we know summer has swifts autumn has fungi what does winter give us in regards to what we can see in nature? Sorry, Ryan, I'm going to keep bringing us back to birds. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, so it's your job. For us, our winter be a little bit bleak, particularly within a city, uh, a lot of hard standing, grey structures. Um, however, for quite a few birds, the UK is actually their winter holiday where they chase the sun. So, as, as, as we mentioned, the golden eye. Um, they will migrate here to escape their much harsher winters mm. um, to avoid that and um, visit. And that's because um, of how the UK is positioned latitudinally, longitudinally. I always confuse the two, I think, so latitudinally. And the, um, the Gulf Stream. Um, and I don't think we could talk about um, sort of winter within London without mentioning that we're currently in a wax screen winter. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's really amazing spectacle where... Um, basically, a waxwing winter is when the waxwing, a uh, species of bird, migrate here every maybe six or seven, eight years on average. And that's because um, we get these eruption years due to really harsh winter coinciding with a poor bearing um, crop in right, Scandinavia. Right. So, what they do, they come here, um, visit the UK in search of that food, and London um, is a great place for them, and they're really seen as an urban bird. And that's because um, if waxwings and urban planning departments have anything in common, they both love a red berry. Um, <laughs> yes. And, um, and I think uh, waxwings is a really good way of uh, talking about urban nature because whenever you see descriptions of sightings where people have seen them, mm -hmm. it's always like, oh, 18 in the Morrison's car park. Or oh, I saw five opposite the bus stop for 121 on Alpha Road, for example. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, at the moment we're experiencing a wax ring winter and I really encourage people to go and try and find one. Um, yeah. I found myself in a street corner just a few weeks ago. <laughs> All right, wait. Because they living. Waiting patiently for about two hours for them to appear. And before I knew it, I was like, I was just focusing on like a tree that was pretty much half stripped of berries. And yeah, yeah. People were starting to gather and we were just staring at the same trees. So it's really nice way. It's mad because I didn't know, I mean, I knew of the waxwing, obviously, but I, I didn't know there was this surge where they suddenly come over. And it wasn't until I was walking through Hampstead Heath just in December, kind of walked through this patch and I saw this huge flock of birds in a tree. And it was one of the, I didn't recognize them as waxwings. I was a bit too far away. But you know when you know that's something you haven't seen before? It didn't, I didn't recognize it as, 
I, I walk past this route all the time. I was like, I never see that many birds on the street. They're bigger than the birds I usually see around here. What is going on? Multiple people have cameras. There's a lot of men around that tree. Uh, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, so then I was like, there's something different. I haven't seen it. So I tried to get a video and I sent it to some of my friends and they were like, oh, that's definitely wax wings. I was like, ah, oh, this is what's going on. So yeah, it's definitely, even if you didn't know it was happening, probably people that aren't that into birds have probably seen or walked past something especially people in Albert. That's really cool. So what about you, Shanta? What would you say is, um, what does winter have to deliver for people? Well, I think in, I mean, it is a nature sense. I'd say everything just slows down. Mm. The nature's going, oh man. A lot of things are going dormant. So for me, it's kind of noticing things that you don't notice in the other seasons. Yeah. For example, I love going around looking at um, chestnut trees. Uh, where they've been their buds out and the buds are just so huge. Yeah, yeah. Just chestnut trees have taken, sorry. Um, and they're just really sticky, so they put these sticky buds. And basically, the reason why they put these sticky buds is it's full of like antifreeze. So, yeah, they're just, I just love the sort of like super clever adaptations that you get to see in the winter that you don't really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Seasons. So, you get the sticky buds from horse chestnuts that produces gorgeous flowers. And then for me, it's just kind of, yeah, appreciating how everything we was in winter. So, you might go out, you see the June the morass mm. uh, it's been frozen over i think it just kind of slows us down and puts into the rhythm of winter i think that's a really lovely way to look at it as well because we often i think in our society we kind of go january 1st new year we've got to start refreshing now and it's like well let's just hold on it's still winter we can't wake up straight away <laughs> let's go into the new year slowly and then we can kind of like slowly wake up and get into spring because i think when we rush that in the same way if nature rushed it it's probably not going to do as well or things aren't going to survive if they come out too early so i think that's a really lovely way of looking at the start of maybe the new year and things like that um pete for you wax wings did you say it's every seven years approximately they come back are they here every year or is it in these big broods they come back so there are small numbers every year in the uk right uh, gotcha. usually, but that mainly be to like the northern parts of england scotland and yeah. so on um, it's only during these eruption years where Basically, they work their way through the berries, strip of trees, strip of trees. their way down south. So you find it along this east coast, down nice. to London. And the reason why they end up in Tesco car parks and so on is because um, other winter thrushes that arrive in October, mm. such as from Red Rain and just Field Fair, um, they arrive much earlier and quite associated with countryside and don't come as often into cities. So in a year where maybe the waxwings spend probably more time in the northern parts of the UK, for you, what is your winter? What stands out for you in winter usually? For me, um, especially in London, my brain keeps going birds. <laughs> it can say birds. Again, it can stay birds. Again, like wildflower and waders mm. make the most of our UK winter, as I said before, because um, their breeding grounds have much harsher winters than here. So I think that's just a big part. Like another spectrum comes up, comes up yeah. and it probably doesn't get um, as noticed because red wing migrate during night. So yeah. if you know the call, you could actually stand outside and hear them while wow. um, as they arrive from um, from Scandinavia. Um, so that's a really nice spectacle. Along with winter, the myth for London is that like you know they can't see as much nature in London. Or I wouldn't really say people say nature doesn't exist in London anymore, but people certainly have that mentality that you can't see as much. I'm going to ask you both: How wrong is that? What would you say? Every family of friends out there from home are baffled to how much I see. Yeah. They don't understand it. Like, in the first place, they don't understand why I moved to London for a conservation job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And yeah, uh, like, like I said, within the Lee Valley, there is actually so much to see in across London in general. Um, I think it's almost 50% of London's either green or blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, most of those spaces, all the, I think it's almost to just over 15,000 species. It's incredible. It's so far from the truth. And what I find within London is um, it's much easier to go and see stuff. Yeah, it's 100%. People would describe like, a Kingfisher scene and this corner street next to this corner shop and you know the guy that works yeah. there. And you will see it. If you go there, you'll probably yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's it's, it's actually really accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with other, other transport and so on. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to make a trek to like a super remote yeah. um, somewhere to go and see wildlife. Part of my world and my trust is letting people know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is access to nature and trying to uh, encourage people to use that, particularly during winter. We yeah. find get schools to come out during winter. We offer full wild work days. Yeah. And currently I'm on the um, Water Lake Nature in Mind project, mm. which is supporting young people's mental health in Newham. So it's basically the project came around last year as a sort of result of the surge in cases of mental health issues amongst young people right. after COVID. And then that's making obviously the severity of them a lot higher and then the lower risk categories having to wait a lot longer. So the project kind of supports five to 11 year olds and 11 to 17 year olds before they go on to either adult mental health services or hopefully not. Yeah. And so basically, yeah, we deliver at all those so wetlands and we start, we start a delivery, it's meant to start in June, so when it's like summer. So it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to have nose to see, it's going to be great. But actually just way the way the project kind of worked out, we started delivering in September. So we're going into autumn, going into winter. And I was just like, oh my goodness, we're going to have these children like freezing outside. Um, What's that kind of going to be to see? But actually it's been such an amazing um, kind of journey, just seeing how they kind of, they like arrive on the wetlands when it might be dark or it might be super, super cold. And that we did a few weeks ago when it was super cold was we went to do one dip and it was frozen over. And so we were like, okay, that's, that's cool. So why is it frozen over? Not learn about all of that. Um, what might not be here, what is here. And then we just started getting the ice, just like smashing all the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, these sessions are kind of meant to be like nature wellbeing sessions. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, and they're very much led by the younger people. So they were just going around, it was just completely like therapy. It was just like, okay, well, that would have happened in the spring or summer. That's amazing. It's like those little things that you get to see in winter that you don't get to see anywhere else. I yeah. just find that kids become way more prepared than their parents. Oh, I know the parents dress them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The parents walk up in their white converse and then yeah. Charles in the red is full on uh, jumpsuit range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're splashing around and having a great time. Yeah. So. It is very, would you both agree that like kind of there's, there is that mentality that we, for some reason there's like a block in our brain that says we can't be outside as much in winter. It's, it's like going, no, you can't possibly go out in that. Or you hear people go, oh, it's bad weather at the moment. It's like, it's just weather. It's, it's, you can't define weather yeah, as bad. Yeah. It's just, you know, obviously there is incredibly challenging and hazardous weather. Yeah. But when we're talking in a very temperate country where it's, you know, just a, a windy day or an, an icy day, um, we, we see, or a rainy day, we see that as bad. And that really blocks people from actually going outside, whether even if it be just to the shops or something like that. Do you think that plays a big part in how people, do you see it at places like, you know, Wolfhamstow Wetlands where we are here? the amount of footfall really suddenly drops in winter. Did you see that kind of play hand in hand? Yeah, so the best way to describe it is um, during summer, we like consistent footfall. And mm. people come and visit every day. They would um, enjoy the reserve in the sun. During the winter, you have those really quiet periods. It's obvious in uh, people's decisions when they come in or, uh, or they don't. 
And what I will say, I've often said wetlands, like the wind here is pretty unforgiving. So yes, I could, yeah. I could understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some people don't make the trip, but yeah, I just think it just takes, it's almost a big decision. Yeah, we know it's more effort. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is more effort. We're not going to take that away. For most but... people, that's enough. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> enough to go <laughs> on playing on thermals. Absolutely. What would you say to people, though? That, I mean, I'm, I don't know, nerds that are listening, that you might already be converted on this. But if, if there are people going, I just don't like being out in the cold or I don't like being out in the rain, how do you guys feel about that in regards to do you like going out in the rain? Do you like going in the cold? And if you don't mind it, how did you get through that barrier? I think for me, like, when I started working, Efficient conservation on the Make Northwood project. I remember I started in the summer. Okay, everyone, prep me. Like, how cold does it get? Because like, <laughs> we're going to be working in the woods throughout yeah. winter. Like, how cold does it get? Well, once you've got your, those like base layers on, and obviously, it's, base layers are quite accessible in terms of like yeah. finite shape. Is we don't spend too much money on them. If you're getting like all the proper gear, but if you just layer up, yeah. And especially when you've got something in focus. So like we were coppicing. Yeah, like yeah. So you didn't really feel the cold. So it's almost like taking your focus away from the uncomfortable, mm. which obviously is uh, easier to have been done. Um, and it has to be kind of worth it. But yeah, getting rid of it's like, put your gloves on, put your scarf on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just kind of, I don't know. Like, I love, I love like that whole thing of like, enough dubs for the rain, all of that. But then it just does get uncomfortable. I think you say, once you have an end goal, like if you don't know how long you're going to be outside, for example, it might feel a bit more grating. Yeah. But if you go out and go, I'm going to go for a half an hour, 45 minute wonder, or if you're working out in it, you kind of go, I'm going to be fine. Like, I've been on walks, uh, dog walks, where it's rained heavily from the moment I've left the house to the moment I've got in, and my shoes have been full of water by the time, but by, I got to the heath and I had another four hours to go. And I'm like, this is just today. It's <laughs> yeah, not going to yeah. get better than this. It might even get a bit worse, yeah. but I know there's a brew waiting for me at home and a packet of hobnobs and it's going to be all right. <laughs> and it's having those, I think those little moments in your head going, this is, there's going to be a moment today where you sit down and go, oh, yeah, I did it. And I think that's what keeps me going <laughs> when I'm out in the kind of the elements of it. What about winter can people embrace to help? Because like I said, people do dread the winter months. You see a lot of people with seasonal affective disorder or you see a lot of people just really not look forward to winter actually say, going, I don't feel my happiest at this. But is there things to do with nature in London that people can really start to embrace a bit more that could help them not dread the kind of late November, December, January, and Feb. Not like you've committed to going somewhere, there are no facilities, and that's you out in the rain yeah. the day. You, you've got options. You could that's go to the cafe. That's so true, yeah. Um, you don't have to commit to the entire, it's fine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> don't make it torturous. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think, um, I think particularly our nature reserves, like Walthamstow Wetlands and that is great, and Camby Street and Woodbury Wetlands, yeah, because yeah. we have those facilities, and I think that enables more people to come out, particularly people who are less likely to, um, whereas some of our more uh, remote nature reserves, there are no facilities. Mm. Um, so I think that's a big perk in London to be able to do that. You've got things around you. Yeah, you've got shelter around you, really, every corner, yeah. I would say also, they use the nature's on a doorstep. Mm. Like, you, have, you think you have to go far, like, further afield, but, like, during COVID, it's a lot of people just, like, noticing what's outside their window. Yeah, yeah. It's on their, like, neighbourhood. So, to, like, going around your, I don't know, just that, going around your street and noticing the trees that you never noticed all of that. So, I would say, yeah, you don't even have to go too far, and that's the beauty of London, is that actually there's nature everywhere. In fact, it's the pavement. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't make it, like, too much of a mission. Is there anything else you would say to our listeners for winter in London, 
even people that live on the outskirts of London to come in to try and do to connect with nature? As a wildlife trust plug, I would say we've got this, uh, on the website, it basically tells you where to go in London, like all the reserves, what you can find there, what you can see. Um, so it just kind of simplifies it. So if you're looking for a particular species, and mm. um, if you're looking to see anything like in particular, it will literally list it for you where to go. So I think stuff like that simplifies it. So you don't yeah. kind of like, if you're not familiar with it, and you don't know if you're, you want to make the trip because you're not going to see something in particular, I think that's it as well. Like, mm. they can use some things like that. Where direct truth. Yeah, you, uh, you just have to embrace yeah. winter and days are short, so make the most of it. Yeah, most yeah, window. make the most of the light. Uh, more and more people work from home, so make sure we get away from your screen. Yeah. Spend that hour for a lunch walk and you never know, like, uh, walk down on your neighbourhood, there might be white swings. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you might see them whilst de-icing your car, <laughs> if you're very lucky. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, like, making the most of that small window. Yeah, and yeah. We can be more flexible with our time, yeah. so, um, yeah, just factor that in. Because I think people dread the short days more than the weather. I think you're right. I think you're right. It's the darkness it's people don't like, man. Because you wake up, start, get to yeah, it is dark, so. Which is even more reason to, like you said, don't waste the time. So I'd say to people, even if you're not in a job where you are outside or you're not working from home, I don't know what kind of repercussions this advice would have. <laughs> I would say stress to your work that you need that outdoor time, for God's sake, because you do. Like, it is scientifically proven you need that. So if you need that lunch to go out or if you need to say, I'm sorry, but I need some more light, I'm struggling here. That is something you should be talking to uh, your manager about, especially when you're in city environments and it is, you've got to go to these pockets whilst you can, because you might live quite, the commute might be too long, you might not have time after work. So yeah, 100% make the most of your life. I'm so sorry just to add anything, it's so race with yourself as well, because mm. the body, like, physiologically is going through different changes. Like, you, yeah. you're preparing for, like, when you're going into winter, you're putting on a bit more weight, maybe, yeah, you're yeah. down, like, your body is, like, working for you in the winter, so have more grace with yourself and your body might need to slow down. Um, your body might you might be tired of it, so not getting some vitamin D. So it's just about kind of like knowing that there's reasons for the changes that's happening. Mm. There's reasons why you're not feeling so like as great as you do in the summer. It's not just because like it's winter, like you say, it's not just the weather. A huge thank you to Chantel and Pete. It was a beautiful afternoon spent walking around Wolfram So Wetlands with them. So thank you again for being on the show. Nice. Well, I have got a little bit of FOMO that I didn't get to go on that walk. But whatever. <laughs> you will. I will take you there. I will take you to Wolfenstein Wetlands. Whatever. Well, I was really delighted to have a different kind of conversation about winter and nature and connecting to nature at this time of year with the incredible Beth Collier, who is a nature allied psychotherapist and also works for an organization called Wild in the City. They are an organization, it's a CIC, and they support well being of people by helping them grow a really deep connection and relationship with nature in London and beyond, specifically working with people of colour and in natural settings, building up natural history knowledge, skills that are really useful and also like lovely and enriching, like having a fire, hiking, um, and also ecotherapy, which is a term that I think is popping up more and more and more. And we mm. can talk a little bit about what that is after you listen to our conversation. We had a really lovely, gentle conversation around our, as humans, how we are when we come to meet nature, what's happening for us emotionally and what are the benefits of being in nature uh, this time of year, as well as all times of year, but specifically some, some special 
thoughts about winter in particular and what it can tell us about ourselves. Obviously, this episode, we're talking a little bit about getting out in winter and specifically what being outdoors in nature in winter is all about. Um, And like you do so much engagement with different audiences and people, but can you tell me a bit about the barriers that people feel and express when connecting to winter in your experience? Yeah, so I work with people in different ways. So as a nature allied psychotherapist, I'm working one-to-one with clients who not only want to explore their human social relationships, but also want to have some time to reflect on the relationship with nature and the natural world. And winter can be a, a mirror for our, our internal emotional world, one that sometimes people feel um, they can flow with, and sometimes there's a barrier in, in stepping into a world that feels cold and bleak because they don't want to acknowledge their internal world that might be feeling cold and bleak. So sort of the first steps sort of barriers might simply be the practicalities of it's cold and there being a resistance to being uncomfortable or a perception that they need to be uncomfortable to be out in the winter. A lot of people have a barrier and a block about allowing themselves to be comfortable in the moment. Mm. There's something about the intimacy of feeling safe and warm, um, which people can be adverse to, and it, it mirrors uh, uh, an aversion to intimacy emotionally in, in general life. So it feels difficult to be intimate and emotional with people. It feels unsafe. There's a risk of losing that relationship. There's a risk of being rejected in that relationship. So similarly, when they come out into the cold, they might come underdressed and repeatedly turn up underdressed. Why wow. explore? You know, what, what's that about? I'll warm up later. I'll warm up later. Well, that's interesting. Why not be warm in the moment? And it can feel unsafe to be warm in the moment because it's intimate. It feels safer to be a little bit cold and to warm up by yourself in private later after the moment. So after the moment of being outside in nature or after the moment of of meeting up with with me as the the therapist. So there's a huge amount of work that can happen in a a nature-allied psychotherapy session around how people underdress for winter and it, their acceptance of the cold and their preference to feel cold. Wow, that's fascinating. It's sometimes taken a couple of winter seasons for clients to finally turn up with this huge, massive ski jacket. Oh, that you look lovely. <laughs> I've had this for years. It's been in the back of the cupboard. So yeah. it's not necessarily an issue that they can't afford warm clothes uh, or, or they're not aware of what to wear. It, it's an emotional block in feeling uncomfortable with intimacy. And, and we explore that in how it feels for the client to be warm and comfortable whilst with me in nature and how that mirrors their way of coping with intimacy is by accepting something cold and frosty in relationship with other humans and warming up by themselves after their, their encounter with humans. Um, so there's a journey to, to feeling intimate and, and comfortable with, with me, the therapist, but also with the natural environment. It's okay for me to feel warm and safe in this environment. It's not going to be taken away. I'm not going to feel that sudden pain of rejection. But but that itself becomes a piece of work. Wow, that's amazing. I guess the words that are coming to me is just like this hostile environment, like mm. that we're going into. But actually, it's not. It's not hostile. Mm. It's a really funny thing about the British Isles. Like we say, our oh, winters are bad. They're really actually. For, for humans' ability to tolerate weather, I remember thinking, I remember once, like, there was a point in my life when I just hated wind. So I just wouldn't go out in wind because I was just like, 
it's just, I can't hear my own thoughts. It's noisy. It's like terrifying. And then I remember one day I was just stood by the sea and I must have been like in my mid-twenties and it just clicked. Stop being so hostile back towards the wind. And like my muscles just relaxed and then I just let the wind whip my face and I was like, oh, uh, what I love about the work is that the, the huge range of different emotional responses people have to aspects of the weather or the natural landscape, depending on our own emotional world and our own formative relationships. And it, it sounds to me there almost a sense of being in argument with the rain, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, with the wind, you know, feeling that it's being hostile to you and perhaps unconsciously being hostile back in terms of being tense or, or what have you. And, and you, you, you do get so many responses to some people sharing, you know, it's so oppressive, it's against me, this sense that it is sort of an active challenge from the wind. Um, and then others, as, as you found, sort of dropping the guard and finding something uplifting or refreshing in, in the energy of the wind against their, their skin, uh, that we do have felt responses to the weather that, that can be explored just as having a felt response to your mum or a co-worker or, or something a human is bringing and having an impact on us emotionally. That's beautiful. And I guess with your work with your clients, um, obviously you're in nature, like that kind of allied work, working with nature as part of your therapy. To what extent do you talk about nature as part of that or is it doing it subconsciously alongside and you're aware of it? Just as sort of traditional therapy indoors, most therapists will tell you some clients want to go deeper than others. So for some, being in nature is simply a beautiful natural setting in which to explore human emotion. For others, they, they want to go deeper and explore relationship with nature and the natural world and to really allow nature as the co-therapist um, to lead them in, in reflection. Nature's doing more than I am as a, a human therapist to help us understand what's going on for us. So as a human therapist, you're offering interventions, you're perhaps reflecting back what the client is saying. You might try and mirror something that the client is doing or sharing. And, and nature does all of that. That There's such beautiful synchronicity in what nature offers. You know, just as a client is trying to find the words for something they're, they're explaining, you know, there'll be that gust of wind or you'll observe you know, a, a fox with cubs trotting all behind it, just as they're talking about, you know, feeling left behind. Um, so there's, it's just very, very powerful uh, that nature knows what and when to offer us if we're able to tune in and and, and have that awareness. That's so beautiful. And, I, you know, I'm assuming, I'm not assuming, we've lived alongside that since we've evolved. Yeah. And so, like, that Absolutely. natural relationship, and it breaks my heart to think that, we are resistant to it, particularly at this time of year, but also for some people all around, no matter what time it is, to not have that access to that just kind of, oh, takes my breath away a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's real deprivation not to have relationship with nature. And, you know, we've used all sorts of terms, haven't we, sort of connection with nature and now more, more so relationship with it. There really is substance to that. It's not sort of, you know, a clever phrase. It's there's real meaning that we are part of nature and the natural world. And as you say, for millennia, uh, nature has been a guide, a therapist, a companion for us. And when we, we take our place in nature and are accepting of our place in nature and interested in the signs and the conversations going on around us and how we can use them to understand ourselves, it, it's such a deeply 
enriching uh, way of living to feel part of a much, much bigger whole. Uh, and that in itself can help with, with issues around, you know, winter and isolation that we're never alone. Um, just like winter, we may have periods of hibernation or dormancy, but the energy is always somewhere. And if we can understand, you know, it might be healthy to have resting moments, to have downtime, just as nature does, but that the growth is still in the offing. It's still, the energy of, of growth is still there. That's such a beautiful way to think that the energy is still somewhere waiting. And that's a really powerful, because often we say it's like, you know, rest at this time. You know, if your body's saying rest, rest, but there's still this idea that it's wasted time. Yeah, but actually, this idea that's somewhere bubbling below, a bit like a tree, you know, putting yes. its energy down. Exactly. And without that rest, you won't have the qualities of flowers and buds and bloom and fruit the following year. It's it's a vital part of being healthy, being well. Oh, I love that. I'm going to take that with me next time I go out and I look at the trees and I'm sad. Mm. Uh, and so, I, you've spoken a little bit about sometimes it takes time for you with clients to kind of. Actually, time is the thing that gets people comfortable. That's obviously with your therapeutic work. But if your other work in Wildness City, I guess, are there some techniques that you've got to help people break through that barrier of that kind of resistance to, to nature and the outdoors at this time of year? So with Wildness City, we're sharing knowledge about natural history and, and ways our ancestors would have seen and engaged with, with the natural world. A, a big challenge for people is just to have had the time, the experience to know that, that winters are survivable, they can be comfortable. I think a lot of it is sort of fear of I won't be able to cope. It's going to be too extreme or too challenging for me. Mm -hmm. And often after the first experience, if we can get to that stage, people realise that, you know, there's things you can learn in, in how to dress to be comfortable in, in wearing layers um, you know, making sure that your 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 head and your neck are covered. Simple things that, that transform misery into to pleasure. And once you can be comfortable, then you can relax into enjoying a different kind of beauty in in the landscape of nature. Um, and, and it can be really exhilarating to know the natural world can continue to be part of your regular routine all throughout the year. It's not just a a summer fair weather friend, and um, it's here for life throughout the year. Yeah. No, definitely. And I do, um, I just, I've just had a flashback to being a teenage, not te like, yeah, late teens, early twenties and still kind of being more concerned about what I look like mm. than keeping warm. And like the amount of times I've just been out cold, wet and miserable and just yeah. not enjoying my time outdoors. But uh, that's just like, obviously, I guess it's an element of like culturally the way that we live. Yeah, that, that does become a barrier for people though. when we're in the city. You sort of the marker of being successful, doing well, sort of understanding how life works might be looking good. That might be one of the markers that we get it, that that we're we're, we're doing well, which doesn't necessarily translate into comfort in, in nature and that's in the natural world. The good news is nature doesn't care what we look like. And we hopefully co-create a, a community of people that, that are concerned about well-being rather than... Um, the, the sort of short-term materialism of, of how each other looks. So it comes back to a question of intimacy again, that actually in, in feeling safe and feeling welcome and in understanding people can really connect with you and your essence at a deeper level. 
somehow what you look like, you know, is very unimportant compared to sitting around a fire, listening to the beauty of, of the bird's soul, enjoying laughter with people you've never met, but feeling a, you know, a close connection to suddenly what matters shifts mm-hmm. and that, that ability to be comfortable with yourself so you can be comfortable in embracing other people in the natural world and, and just enjoying the simplicity of companionship, of spending time, of good conversation uh, becomes far more important than, you know, wearing certain kind of trainers or, you know, your profile looking a certain way. Yeah, you know, you're, to- you're totally right. It's so true. And I, it's one of those things sometimes when I think for me, like when the door unlocked, it unlocked and you kind of can't go back. There's such a vulnerability yeah. to, you know, you can go out for a walk every day for your fitness because quite often the outdoors is pitched as a place of recreation or like yeah. very simple, What you know, the term well-being being kind of, I think sometimes used really loosely by it maybe corporations have taken over, I don't know, this idea of like well-being for self and it's a personal kind of, you know, happiness tick, calories burnt tick. Yeah. Like that kind of vulnerability to be moved by the light, a low winter light on water. The day that you allow yourself to be moved by that and be vulnerable is, it's a magical thing, isn't it? And do you see that in people? Yes. I I mean, I felt, I think one of the most joyful parts of the work is, Particularly if you're working with people who are apprehensive about stepping in, maybe it's a woodland or into the open countryside, but there's sort of a a nervousness. What am I going to meet? How am I going to be able to cope with it? Just because for a lot of people, they get to, you know, several decades into life and they haven't experienced that before. And going from that sort of apprehension, this nervousness, feeling I don't belong, I don't fit in, I don't know how to interact with what's around me, to to just that awe and joy of you, you see sort of, the face starts to drop it, you know, the tension goes, this big smile creeps in and they're just enjoying the sound around them or, as you've mentioned, the beauty of the light of a, a sunset in in winter. And it's the small, simple things that just lift the heart and, and take people often unawares, you know, that they didn't know it could be so beautiful. Obviously, you can be in a city and see an amazing sunset, but when you have the fullness of the sensory experience of a woodland, for example, at the same time. And and it can be a very poignant moment, very joyful, but also sad and upsetting. You know, this has been here all my life and I've never had it. Mm. I feel angry. This grief not fair. Some mm. people get to have this. I, I haven't. And when you add in the, the additional barriers that are there for people of colour, who I work with through Wild in the City, uh, and how racism has, has been a, a barrier to, to many to, feeling safe and comfortable to step into nature and the natural world. There's a lot of work around loss and rupture in relationship with nature because of the human interference that has created a barrier that's um, sort of laid down markers to say, you belong, you don't belong, Mm -hmm. Uh, which these skills us, which through being disenfranchised, that there's a break to the lineage, particularly of the oral tradition for learning about nature through people in the family, people in the community. And with that, the, the loss of knowledge about, uh, you know, what we're looking at around us, that, that, you know, that you don't have to name wildlife to enjoy it, but there's a benefit in sort of feeling closer to, to, to knowing how to dress or to, to knowing sort of practical skills, how to um, you know, 
get a file in it or how to move through an overgrown setting. There's so much practical and emotional loss over generations that it can become shaming in not knowing. That was the word that was coming to my mind as you were talking, that sense of shame of like, I need to get from here to there and I've got to walk through some tangly stuff and I just don't feel like I can. And, you know, obviously, um, like you said, your work's so important and it's so important that it is, you know, black-led work to deal with because it's not just talking to people about natural history. It's going through that process of like that grief of recognising what's been lost Mm. and dealing with potentially that shame and trying to understand why it feels particularly difficult. Yeah, as people realise it's not just them and their individual relationship, but it's entire communities. And that's not just here in the UK, but also within the diaspora. We have friends and colleagues in Africa, in in Asia and the States who have the same story of, of being disenfranchised from nature, particularly by a white middle class gaze that tells us we're inferior in relationship to our understanding of nature and the natural world. We don't belong. It's not for us. And, and worse, you know, we harm nature. We're ignorant. So there's this um, enormity of this negative messaging for people to overcome in claiming their personal relationship with nature and the natural world. And for some people, they're aware of that. And for many people, all of this just sort of bubbles there without being aware that that's what it is, which becomes you know, part of the additional barrier um, that there's an emotional discomfort in stepping into nature or contemplating it because you're also having to deal with a sense of loss and, and a sense of the, the trauma and the anger connected with with that loss. Yeah, gosh, I feel like we could talk probably for another half an hour about this, but mm. so much around that white gaze and belonging. And um, there is a deep sense that, you know, people of colour don't necessarily know how to be in nature mm. from the white gaze of it being a really kind of like clean cut clinical recreation engagement when actually you know people of color are generationally closer to an understanding of like cultivating land planting growing food being aware of species and then having that lineage of nameable plants and smellable plants taken away to come to Mm -hmm. this land here and then not have access to learn and rename the plants. And yes. and obviously like the ecological system that we've got here in the UK in terms of like just ecology and nature conservation is so tight-knit mm. and it's so exclusive. That kind of access to knowledge is just, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole conversation that unfortunately we don't have time to have. Yeah. Um, but I guess I just wanted to end on then, um, and I do encourage everybody to check out Beth's incredible work um, through Wild in the City if you are in and around London, but potentially spreading to other places and a person of colour and are just interested in that or anyone really to take a look. But lastly, Beth, leave our listeners with, I guess, things about nature in winter that you love, that you'd want to tell people about. Oh, this so much discovery in winter. Um, I, I often find with every season, it's like greeting um, a family member you haven't seen for a long while. You know, so exactly who they are. You know, you, you see little plants starting to come through, but oh, I'm just trying to put my finger on which one you, you are. It takes a few seconds. And then through, you're with them throughout the summer. You, you're making use of them. You're, you're, you're seeing them. You're enjoying them. And then sort of throughout the winter, it, it feels they they disappear and and then start to reemerge and you've got to oh yes you're 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 this you're that so for me it's a, a time of discovery because things uh, 
look different. So a plant that's been familiar to you over the summer, trying to think of plants have all, all disappeared from my mallow, you know, one of my favourite walks, you know, mm. the, the, the purple flower of the mallow disappears and then the, the, the bulk of the shrub sort of dies back and you're left with this little couple of leaves poking through the ground. And it's a, it's a good time to stay in touch with your favourite plants that are going to look different and get to know and, and keep contact with with plants in their, their different stages. Mm. Uh, this this coming week, we're doing a workshop on winter tree identification, just tuning into different aspects to, you know, the, the flower and the fruit, which we, we tend to use to, to get to know things. And you become a bit more of a detective thinking, based on what I can see of you, who are you? Uh, that, that can be a fun way of, of discovering different aspects of your, your favourite plants and trees. Oh, that's really beautiful. I definitely, yeah, kind of greeting them and respecting them even in their hibernation mm. period. That's really nice. Um, winter tree ID is hard. I'm, I'm, every winter I'm like, I need to get better at this. I can, yeah, I can do my favourites, but then some others get really bit ambiguous. So there you go, everybody. Go out and get to meet your plants in the winter. Maybe maybe too late to start now. Maybe wait till autumn and then keep an eye on them. <laughs> you don't yes. forget the next time. Exactly. Don't lose track of them. <laughs> Cool. So that was that was my chat with Beth. That um, was lovely. I re- yeah, I re- she's an incredible woman, an incredible inspiration. Mm. Her work as like nature allied psychotherapy. Hopefully, it was clear from that conversation. But mm. so much of our I don't know how many people listening have got counselling or therapy. But hands up um, if you've had it. Well, but, well, you and I can raise our hands. Then. Yeah, we're raising <laughs> our hand. But quite often, therapy is done in a setting, in a room, or in a one-on-one basis which is actually like a really weird way to open yourself up and actually having therapy and accessing thoughts about yourself and who you are when you're in nature is a really, really powerful way of building. Cause everything we do like since time began is through the lens of being in nature and part of it. And so mm-hmm. much of the way we talk about ourselves, right. Is, you know, you, we might rise like the sun or like we talk about growing, you know, I've, you know, I've really grown this year. So much of, I think, our understanding about ourselves comes from metaphor and nature and and Beth, you know, kind of touched on that a little bit. But yeah, just a really, really nice conversation about how sometimes the barriers to getting out in nature in winter are barriers that we've got within ourselves and, mm. and maybe time to let go and embrace the cold a little bit. And I think also with the sense of kind of, I guess, pride when you actually get through some of those barriers mm. and still go out in winter whether it be a half an hour walk, whether it be a full day spent around a reserve or a green space in London, you just a sense of pride and coming back and having that. I don't know. I have this, that lovely feeling, you know, when you get back from a cold walk out or, you know, just a walk with a friend or a dog walk or whatever, and then you have a cup of tea at home and there's just that sense of bit. I know that's the noise. It could be the best cup. It could be the best cup of tea. (laughs) It could be. It could be. And it's just, you just have that sense of kind of, Okay, I've done that. Mm-hmm. That and it and it would ju- have just helped you. And it's just the more you do it, it's like a, it's just like an exercise, isn't it? The more you do it, the easier it gets, and also the more you see. Yeah, like the, the the more you see, whether you're doing the same environment each time, whether you're going to a different space, you just you start to see and feel a bit more, and you get a different connection with the elements. Because totally. I had to tell myself that rain wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, like you you might get soaked through, you might feel it in your shoes. It'd be all right. It's not World yeah. War One. You're not going to get trench foot. Like you, it's you'll be really, all right. I mean, it is. It's really interesting, isn't it? 
the UK is pretty mild. Like I know, yeah. <laughs> I know that like minus one and minus two degrees, it's like, oh, that's quite cold. Actually, you know, three or four layers and a woolly hat, you can actually be comfortably warm mm. outside. Globally, it's quite mild. Like when you look at the well, other kind of northern Well, yeah, but country. also, but you know, also the human body is extraordinary. Like its capacity to, to be okay in, mm. you know, like in, in certain conditions, like when it rains, for example, so you're wet for half an hour. It's because, <laughs> like, it's, no one likes a wet denim stuck to your thigh. But really, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it is true. It is Just true. quickly, did you, were you part of the trend in the early 2000s of the flared jean? A hundred percent, yeah. Do you remember how much they would wick up the water? Oh, they would soak <laughs> up the water like, like would, a sponge. You just carry around an extra stone of water with you to be cool. <laughs> anyway, I hope that's inspired you to put on a few more layers and um, go and meet Jack Frost and the wax wings yeah. and the golden eyes. And keep your and whatever eyes you to the can, skies. whatever you whatever you can see, and like as always, nature doesn't switch off. There's this perception that this time of year, we've said it a couple of times on the show already, that everything dies off in winter and there's nothing around, and that's not entirely true. There's loads to go and see, but there's also loads you can still do. And one thing you can do if you're living in London and you want to start connecting with nature and you're not sure how to do that, or you want a bit more of a community to help you, or you want a bit more support, then I do encourage you all to check out the London Wildlife Trust. Um, there's some amazing volunteer programs there. Maybe there's a job role going. God, have a look at that. See if there's anything going at London Wildlife Trust. Or there's some events going on throughout the year as well. So do have a look on London Wildlife Trust website. The link is in the write-up of this episode, as always. And their social media tags are below as well. So check out London Wildlife Trust, see what's going on, and see if you could take part in anything that they're doing for 2024 and beyond. Nice. So that's it, guys. Thank you, nerds, for tuning into this episode all about winter wildlife. And a special big thanks to the London Wildlife Trust for supporting the podcast and supporting this episode. Thanks for tuning into the show, nerds. If you don't already, make sure to follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and at Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you're able to and would like to, you can support the show by tipping us at coffee.com forward slash into the wild pod. That buys us the equivalent of a coffee and we use it to fund more podcasts for your ears. But until next time, keep well and live the good life. <laughs>